All right, First Peter, let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we go to your word right now. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. And thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. You know what every person here may be going through right now. We just pray you'd speak to each and every heart. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Uh, less of us, less of me, more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So we're continuing looking at First Peter. We know this was written by the Apostle Peter to the early church. The early church at the time this letter was written was going through great persecution. The church had been scattered. Many of them had lost their family and friends because they had chosen to follow the Lord. They were also under great persecution, so they were being disowned, many of them, by their family and being persecuted by the world. This was a time when Christians were being fed to lions, being imprisoned because of their faith. And as we've gone through 1 Peter, the outline we looked at, early on he talked about the salvation of the believer. So the you go to our website, all the messages are there, they're always free, go online and you can catch up. But first Peter, we saw in the first chapter, the belief of a Christian or our salvation. And then we saw the, the sanctification. So here's what we believe. Now here's how we should behave. Now again, we're not saved by good works, we're saved by grace. Amen? By faith alone and Christ alone. And we're saved by grace. And so we're saved not because we deserve it. We're, get, we're saved in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. Amen? But once we've been born again, once the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, it should impact how we live. Not good, good works so we can be saved, but good works that are fruit that we have been saved. Amen? Then we got to chapter 2. And the last couple, last week and again to this morning, we will look at the submission of the believer. There's a favorite word for everybody. We love to submit, right? And, and we struggle with it. But as believers, we see the behavior of a Christian. We're going to see submission, and the call to harmony, and the call to unity. Now, if you were here last week, we didn't finish up last week's uh, outline. So I'm going to do that last point first, and then we'll go over the outline for this week. But last week, we titled the message, Live Every Day Like Someone Is Watching, because someone is. Most importantly, the Lord's watching. Amen? The Holy Spirit walks with you through your day by day, but also the world is watching and the world needs to see that there's something different about us and that we are different because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're an example to the unsaved. We saw last week of godliness and good works, of submission to God-given authority. And then we're going to pick up in verse 18 of a servant's heart in the workplace. So as Christians, we don't go witnessing, we are witnesses. Amen. Which means when you leave this place, when you show up at work, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. When you show up in the grocery store, the Holy Spirit just entered the grocery store. The place where you live, God has you there to be salt and light. And one of the places where God wants to use us as believers is our workplace. Now, most of you know that along with being a pastor for 33 years, I've worked for the same company for 33 years. And I have a job right now and I love my job because it's my mission field. This funeral I'm doing today is a former co-worker's sister who died and a bunch of, a lot of people I used to work with, and I don't know if one of them is saved. But see, guys, when we are living in the world, we are to represent Christ to a world that doesn't know him. Amen? And, we, and so it begins, we'll see there in the workplace. So begin there, look at verse 18. We'll go through these three verses, and I'll give you the outline for this morning's text, and we will finish up. I will continue from there. So beginning there in verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 2, 
It says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Servants, be submissive to your own masters. Now, in today's vernacular, that would be employees, be submitted to your employer. Now, that being said, we've talked about this. We submit to the police. We submit to the government. God says they're placed there by God to... uh, you know, bring about good and and to bring about justice. Now, there is a time when we stop submitting to the government, when we stop submitting to to our boss, is when they outlaw our faith. So when they say we can't have church, we have church anyway. Amen? If you guys were here through the pandemic, we had church. And I don't care if the black plague comes, we're having church. You know why? Because people need Jesus. And I was attacked by a lot of pastors that said, you don't care about people. I said, no, I care about the eternity. I'm far more concerned about where you spend eternity than, uh, than your physical health. Now, look, if you're sick, stay home. We have live stream. If you're concerned and you feel like you're someone susceptible, watch on live stream. But for the rest of us who want to be here, come on out to church. Amen? Amen. And so we, wanna, we, we honor those in authority till they tell us to dishonor God. But notice it doesn't say, just notice this verse. He doesn't say honor them as long as they're nice. Look what it says there at the end of that verse. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Anybody ever had a harsh boss before? Raise your hand. It's almost in the the boss DNA sometimes, amen? Harsh, attitude. I was thinking about this the other day. I think I've had like 27 managers in my 33 years with my company, and they're all over the map. I've had some that are really good, and I've I've had some that need to get saved. Can I get an amen? And they're just harsh. And you know what? The Bible tells us you don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. And a soft answer turns away wrath. And we talked about last week how a buddy of mine, we had a coworker that was really harsh and he just helped her with a test she needed to take to get a promotion, just showed her nothing but love and grace and God used her in a mighty and a powerful way. In those days, it was slavery. Today, for us, it's, it's working. And Onesimus was a saved uh, slave sent back to his master. He got saved. He had run from his master. And when he got saved, he went back to his master. And God used him in his going back. And today, it speaks of our relationship with our employers. Most of us is where we spend most of our awake time is at work. We have more time usually at work than we have at home. So you know what that means? That's our mission field. And you're the salt and light of that place. And God has you there for a reason. And may we not miss out. We should be the hardest working. By the way, as Christians, we should live by an example. We show respect for those in authority over us at work. And we should be the hardest working, most respectful, kindest, most joyful, filled workers in the building. Amen? If we're digging ditches, let's dig ditches for Jesus. Amen? Whatever we're doing, we do our job as unto the Lord. And I promise you, the world will notice. As Christians, can I say this? We should not be complainers. I didn't hear an amen in the building. (laughs) We all want to complain sometimes, amen? But as believers, if we have our focus on eternity, do we have anything to complain about? What's the answer? We're the most blessed of all people. We're going to heaven. Someone took my parking spot. I'm so mad. Dude, get over it. Park further. You need the exercise. Can I get an amen? The reality is, though, we're not to be complainers and the people that moan and complain. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're hanging out with somebody that always moaned and complained and moaned and complained and moaned and complained and then you invited you to to his church, would you want to go? 
Amen? That's really working out for you where you fellowship. You're just a moaner and complainer. We don't want to complain. We want to rejoice. Amen? We want to thank God for the job he's given us even when it's hard. We want to be a Christ-like example. Work in a way that honors God. Do your work as unto the Lord. Amen? If Jesus was your boss, would you be on time? Would you, do, would you work hard the whole day? Guys, Jesus is our boss. We're doing our job as unto the Lord. And here's what happens. When you do your job as unto the Lord, God blesses it and God uses it as a testimony. I've shared this before. When I was in San Jose, we had layoffs at one point when I was in the San Jose office of my current company and everybody was panicking. Everybody was panicking, except as was noted by my Muslim boss who I prayed for, who eventually got saved. She said, you know what? I realized in the office of 200 people, like everybody, but like 20 of us, 20 people are all panicking and worried and angry. And, oh, and, they, and he said, then I realized the 20 people that aren't worried are all the Christians that go to the Bible study. <laughs> That's a testimony. And that same boss would then come to me when we had an opening and say, do you have anybody else at your church that wants a job? Because you guys all work really hard and you never complain and you do really well at work. Guys, that should be our testimony. Can I get an amen to that? So if that is not your testimony at work, repent and let it start being your testimony tomorrow morning. Amen? That's an exhortation if you don't know what that is, okay? So the result is a good testimony, an opportunity to point others to Christ. Again, no one's going to listen to the testimony of a sluggard. Amen? Laziness is a sin, by the way. Read through Proverbs. Read through Proverbs. Next to wisdom, the number two topic in Proverbs is diligence. You know, the lazy man, oh, there's a lion in the street. I can't go to work. You know, he won't turn over. He won't put his foot to hand down the bowl and put it back up to the... Just talks about how lazy people... Guys, laziness is not to be rewarded. Amen? A man who does not work shall not eat. Amen. So here we are at work. We should be salt and light. And you might say, well, I'm going to go witnessing from 7 to 8 on Thursday night or Tuesday nights in my neighborhood. And you should do that. But guys, we go witnessing every moment we're awake. Everywhere we are, we are called to be salt and light. Again, notice the word harsh there. It means warped, crooked, or perverse. Thanks. So I've got a perverse boss. I've got a wicked boss. I've got a crooked boss. We should not participate in their sinful behavior, but the harsh boss needs Jesus too. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. And when they don't know the Lord, they just need the Lord. So guess what? We need to be salt and light to them. We need to be the ones that tell them about the love and grace and the mercy of our God. You were put where you are at work to be salt and light. But what about somebody who treats you unfairly? Look at verse 19 and 20. He says, for this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief and suffering wrongfully. He says it's commendable if you endure through, the, through unfair treatment so that God's name will be glorified. Being punished for our wrongs is no credit to us. You know, if you're showing up late, you're slacking off at work and you get punished, you deserve it. Amen? I told you I had this coworker. Every time I think of this stuff, he worked in my office in San Jose, and he was a very outspoken Christian, but he was a jerk. He just was a jerk. He would go by people's people, you're going to fry an hell, y'all going to burn, you're going to fry, you're gonna... I'm like, yeah, how's that working out? And again, instead of saying, hey, bro, how you doing? Can I pray for you? How are you doing? How's things going with you? You should come to the Bible study sometime. Just want you to know we love you. 
Which of those is going to be an opportunity to minister to somebody? Amen? And the person who's harsh, they don't know the Lord. They don't have the joy of the Lord. They don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And if I didn't know the Lord, I'd be harsh too. Amen? Because you, you have no source of joy. You're, you're fearful. You're worried about what's going on in life. But God's not given us a spirit of fear because we have the Lord. Amen? Amen? And that's the difference. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable. When you endure even wrongful grief and persecution, patient in such situations points others to Christ. Such persecution is not punishment, but an opportunity to be used mightily by God. I've told you before that sales, I'm a sales guy, I sell advertising and, and software for small businesses, and I've been there 33 years, and salespeople are very competitive. And everybody sees everybody's numbers. And if you do really well, some people aren't going to like you because it makes them not look so good. And so they'll attack your character or they'll accuse you of cheating or whatever. And by God's grace and God's grace alone, I do very well at my job. So I have a lot of people that don't like that. And they'll mock you. And, and early on when I was in my, tw- I've been with the company since I was 25 and I'm 58. I've been there my whole life almost. And you know, when I was young, I used to fight back. When people would say things, I would get you know, aggressive with them. And then the Lord just convicted me like, look, just love them. Can I get an amen to that? Someone who's struggling, say, bro, I, I understand you're struggling. I see that your job could be on the line. You go get your biggest account, the one that you're struggling with. I'll go out with you and let's work together to see if we can turn that thing around. You know what that does? That's an opportunity for the gospel. See, we need to recognize that that workplace is our mission field again. And that those people, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. So we want to minister to people. And we want to love people the way the Lord loves people and treat them the way the Lord would have us treat them. Look at verse 20. So it's what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Don't get mad at God for opportunities he brings into your life. Sometimes it's going to require, you've heard me say this a hundred times, no suffering is wasted. So whatever trial you're going through is all part of two things. It's an opportunity to share the Lord with others, and it's God molding you more into the, char- into the character of our Savior. Amen? So praise God for trials. We saw it in James, count all joy. Respond in faithful obedience because someone is watching. Just remember this. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and a two-minute tirade can destroy two years of godly testimony. Amen? When you start getting angry, and you know what, how many of you know when it's your flesh? And and, and we got to kill that thing. Can I get an amen? I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I see the enemy. Dude, you got to die today. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Die! Amen? Bible says, deny, the, deny self, take up the cross and follow him. And our flesh just wants to fight back and wants to, and how dare you treat me that way? And we get, you know, full of, our, and we just get angry. But vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. And he'll always do a better job defending us than we ever will. Amen? So someone's watching. So now, so now grab your outline for this morning. That was finishing up, looking at live every day like someone is watching. How to impact your home for Jesus. How many would like to see your home more on fire for God? Can I get an amen to that? Okay, we all do. How do we impact our home for Jesus? First of all, we're going to see by following our Savior's example. We're called to follow in his footsteps. He's, by the way, if you have a hero, 
His name should be Jesus. Amen. Amen? People come and say, who's your mentor? Jesus. Amen? And it's okay to have people that you look up to and people that disciple you, though that's fine. But we're not following men, we're following Jesus. Because men will always fail us, women will always fail us. Amen? Jesus never will. A calling to Christ is a calling to redemption, a calling to salvation, a calling to eternal promise of heaven, a calling to submission to those in authority, as we just saw, but it's also to, to a calling to the fellowship of his suffering. Nobody suffered on this planet more in human history than Jesus Christ. Amen? He knew separation from the Father. He didn't just know the scourgings and the beatings and the mockings, but he knew separation from the Father as all the sin of all mankind was placed upon him. And he endured that out of love for you. That's our Savior. Amen? And the Bible tells us that as Christians, we join in the fellowship of his suffering. Now, that's not the part you hear at the, you know, the, the seven steps of financial freedom church. You don't hear that. You know, I give my life to Jesus, there's going to be suffering. Yeah. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. But you will have tribulation. Amen? Count all joy when, not if, you fall into various trials. We will go through difficulty in this life because you know what? By the way, this is not our home. Amen? We're just visiting. Heaven is our home. We're here recruiting. Amen? We want to see people go to heaven with us. And because heaven is our home, we're not always going to feel comfortable here. By the way, if you feel really comfortable here, you're probably not really walking that strong for the Lord. Amen? We don't want, you know, that's why he sends a comforter because we're not supposed to be comfortable. Amen? So that means that we're going to go through suffering and we're going to go through trials and we're going to go through difficulty as an opportunity for the gospel and know this, that when we suffer, he comforts us. Amen? And I love that. You guys know one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they stood for the Lord and they got thrown into the fiery furnace. And who's the God that will deliver you out of my hands to come out, come out, you servants of the most high God, right? But who stayed in the fire when they came out? You know what that means? The next time you're in the fire, Jesus is waiting for you. Amen. And it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. So praise the Lord, even in the midst of trials. And then we have some real practical things. The Lord willing, we'll get through all this. How do we impact your home for Jesus? Be a godly wife. What is a godly wife? What is a godly woman? What does a godly mother look like? We're going to look at that. And then finally, by being a godly husband and Lord willing. I won't just do the wives and stop before the husband. So we have to go five minutes over. We're going to, amen? Because guys would be like, yeah, that's right. That's right, right? You know. And then you'd be sick next week or whatever. No, no, we're doing both. Amen. So let's begin there. How to impact your home for Jesus, beginning there in verse 21, by following Jesus' example. Look what it says. For to this you were called, because Christ, also, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So he's the example. We should be following in his footsteps. For this you were called. A calling unto Christ is a calling to redemption, a calling to salvation, a calling to the eternal promise of heaven. And thank you, Jesus, for that. It's a calling to follow Christ and as born again, spirit-filled new creations in him. And yes, it's a calling to submission to all the authority over us, but it's also a calling 
to unjust suffering. See, when we give our life to Jesus, you'll hear false teachers preach, well, if you give your life to Jesus, then you can tell him what you want and you can make him give you what you want and you'll never be sick again. And you'll have all your stuff and you'll never go through a trial. That's absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. Amen. Look at the apostles. Look at everybody used mightily in the Bible. They all have one thing in common. They all suffered greatly. All of them. Amen. So suffering is a part of it. Now, but this is but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. See, the suffering that we go through is not without purpose. The suffering that we go through, again, is an opportunity for the gospel and also molds us more to the image of our Savior. Now, I know that this keeps coming up, but it's probably going to for a while. If you don't know and you're new to the church, four months ago, I, my son went to heaven. He was 28 years old. And I found him and I did CPR and it is painful. And my heart has been ripped from my chest. But I want you to know this, that God has shown up and comforted my family. And he is a faithful God. And heaven is better. And because his son died, I get to see my son again. And I want you to know no suffering is wasted. And I truly believe that God has used this for opportunities for the gospel. And God is using it to mold my family more into the image of my Savior. Amen? So whatever suffering you may go through, whatever those trials may be, we're going to praise him. What did Job say? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Shall I praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? Notice it says, because Christ also suffering for us, leaving us an example. Jesus' suffering was for the benefit of others. He suffered and died that we might have eternal life. If Jesus wasn't willing to suffer, we wouldn't be here. Amen? There'd be no salvation. There'd be no forgiveness for sin. There'd be no promise of eternal life. But he was willing to suffer. So as believers, when we give our life to the Lord, instead of thinking we're going to be on the cruise ship to heaven where everything's perfect, recognize that we say, Lord, you can do with my life whatever you choose. I give my life to you. Lord, if, if you choose to have me go through heartache so that you can be glorified, then I'll go through heartache. Lord, if you choose to, have, if you choose to take my son to heaven at 28 years old, then I'm going to praise you anyway and trust that you know what you're doing. Is God, was God surprised you took Mark to heaven? We were, he wasn't, he's faithful, he's smarter than us, and our son is safe in heaven and we're going to see him again. See, whatever trial we go through, we have to recognize, okay, Lord, I gave you my life. I think it's a lot easier to die for the Lord than to live for him every day during difficult times. Can I get an amen to that? Somebody walked in here with a machine gun and said, if you confess Christ, line up against the wall. I'd be the first one. Let's go. I'll see Mark in five seconds. Let's go. I'm going to be hugging Jesus. You can't threaten me with heaven. Shoot me first. Can I get an amen to that? You know what's harder? I want you to live the next 30 years without your son, and I want you to keep loving me and point people to me. That's harder. Can I get an amen to that? Having a disease, struggling financially, having wayward children, whatever you're going through, it would be easier just to go to heaven. But you know what? God's not through with you here yet. Amen? And we want to finish strong. And we want to be faithful with the time that we have left that God might be glorified. Our trials, our persecution, our suffering is for the benefit of others, but it also molds us more to the image of our Savior. Serve not only to buffet us, but to point others to Christ. See, because the world is watching when you go through the trial. And they say, how are you going to respond now? One of my favorite Bible teachers is John Corson. He lost his wife. We well, didn't lose her. He knows exactly where she went, but she died. 
Then 10 years later, his daughter died. Then 10 years later, his son died. And that brother is just remains faithful. And I'm like, I want to listen to somebody whose love for the Lord, who he weeps. The Bible says we grieve, but not as those that hope. We do weep, but we have hope. Amen? And the only reason we have hope is we have an eternal perspective. So let's walk in the footsteps of our Savior, which means we're going to suffer sometimes, which means we're going to face persecution sometimes, which means making a stand for the Lord means the world may mock you sometimes. But guys, it's all worth it. All things were together for good for those who trust in God, for those who were called according to his purpose. The context was when people were suffering, times of difficulty in the midst of trials. See, trials and persecution, question shouldn't be why, but what? Not why did this happen, but Lord, what do you want to teach me? How do you want to use this for your glory? It's what and how, it's not, it's not why. I'm, I'm, I have not been mad at God for five seconds about my son because I trust him. It makes no sense. Why would I be mad at him? He loves me. He loves my son more than I do. Why would we be mad? Why, we should not be mad if we lose our job. We shouldn't be mad whatever we're going through. We should say, look, does he have a cattle on a thousand hills? Has he promised to provide? Then we can praise him in the midst of losing our job. Amen? We praise him no matter what. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. All trials and all the persecution we may endure is for a reason. It's all part of God's plan. And again, not why have you allowed it, but what do you want to do through it, Lord? How do you want to use this for your glory? Second question is, how would Jesus respond? How would Jesus respond? Notice it says there in verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in him, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. See, Jesus is our example. The Lord, my prayer should be, give me wisdom. See, Christ suffered, leaving us this example, and we should follow his example. The word example there means underwriting. A written copy, including all the letters of the alphabet given to beginners as an aid to learning how to draw these letters. And the student following the teacher's example makes his copy look as close as he can to what the teacher writes on the board. When you're learning the alphabet, you just try to do it exactly the way that the teacher does it. And we should respond as close to the way as the teacher, as our teacher, as our savior did. Amen. Jesus didn't return suffering with threats. That's what the text says. When he was threatened, what did he do? He, com he committed himself to, to the Lord, to his Father. Father, use this for your glory. Lord, I trust you. Steps, a footprint, following in his footsteps. He's our example, not any man. Again, there in verse 22, it says, He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in him. That's a quote from Isaiah 53, when it's talking about uh, the Messiah being crucified 700 years before crucifixion existed. More proof that the Bible rocks. Amen. How did Jesus respond to unfair treatment, to suffering wrong? He committed no sin. So when you've been wrong, do you sin? Sometimes. Can I get an amen to that? I told you when I was an assistant at Calvary San Jose, I would answer the phone on Sunday morning sometimes because people would call. It was a big church, about 3,000 people. And people would call, you know, oh, what time's your service? You guys having service? And one time I picked up the phone and I said, you know, Pastor Dave Johnston, and he said, hypocrite. I said, sometimes. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Any of you guys a hypocrite sometimes? Will you say one thing and you do another? Amen. 
And so the example that we should have is, let's follow Jesus' example. He committed no sin. You don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. It says, nor, deceit, nor was deceit found in his mouth. The word deceit there means to trick or to wile. It means guile. There was absolutely no deceit or trickery in Jesus' words or deeds. Midst of great suffering and unwarranted persecution, Jesus didn't lash out, but represented the Father in both his words and his actions. And as Christians, we need to represent Christ. How do you respond in the midst of suffering? Do our words and our actions bring glory to his name, or do we cause others to blaspheme with our hypocrisy? He said there in verse 23, as I read, who when he was reviled, the word reviled there, he was falsely accused of being a glutton and a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners. Aren't you glad that Jesus is a friend of sinners? Because if he wasn't, he wouldn't be your friend. Can I get an amen to that? He was spoken of as a deceiver. He was charged with being in league with Satan. He was condemned as a blasphemer. This and more was done to him by the great and influential people of the land in the most public manner, with design to destroy his reputation and alienate his friends, done with the most cutting sarcasm. Perfect holy God unjustly mocked and blasphemed and falsely accused. And here we get upset and think we're above it when somebody falsely accuses us. Well, how dare they? Do they know who they're talking to? Uh, not Jesus. Amen. And Jesus was falsely accused. And how did Jesus respond? He's our example. He did not revile them. He showed them no anger. He used no harsh language. He called for no revenge. And instead, he prayed that they might be forgiven. Can I encourage you, if you've got a harsh boss, start praying for him. By name. Can I get an amen to that? She doesn't mind me using it. I've told her I use her name a lot. Jehan Jehansus was, my, was a, a manager in my office for 15 years. I worked with her. She was a devout Muslim who mocked Christianity every time she saw me. I showed up for work one day and she had a t-shirt that said, born right the first time. Which means I don't need to be born again. Amen. We had a Bible study at work with a lot of people. She mockingly called us the God Squad, and it wasn't a compliment. One time she opened the door and said, well, pray to the Easter Bunny while you're praying to your other fake God at the same time. Why we're having a Bible study. And all I did was love on her and pray for her and encourage her and be kind to her and work hard. And then she had a big project. I'll never forget it. And she felt overwhelmed. We had a new product. She said, she said I have 150 of our biggest clients coming in. I have to do this presentation and, you know, I'm a manager. I, I push papers. I don't get it in front of crowds. I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, I'll do it for you. Really? Yeah, I'll do it for you. I can't pay you. It's okay. I'll do it for you. Oh, it's, when is it? It's on Tuesday night. Okay. And so we went over the new product. I got in front of these 150 people, presented it. Virtually all of them bought it. And everybody praised her because they didn't even know I was there. And I didn't tell anybody I was there. And she came, into my, came over to my cubicle in tears and said, how come you're not taking credit? I said, I, I, I did it for you. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I said, by the way, that's what Jesus would do. <laughs> Amen. It was many more years, but she eventually got saved and eventually came down here all the way to Malibu after I'd moved so I could baptize her in the ocean out here. And now she sends me Bible verses every week. Guys, the harsh bosh, pray for them. They need Jesus. Amen. And you don't return with harshness. You don't fight back, and we want to. Jesus 
calmly stood and bore all of it. He came to endure all kinds of suffering in order to set an example for us and to make atonement for our sins. When he suffered, he did not threaten. As they beat him with their fists while he was, his head was covered and then mocked him, said, prophesy who hit me, he remained silent. When he was brutally scourged and beaten beyond recognition, though able to, he didn't stop them. Though justified, he didn't threaten them. Have you guys seen The Passion of the Christ? What's the heart? I think even harder than watching the crucifixion is watching the scourging. Amen? You just want it to end. You're like, stop. No more. It just seems to go on forever. Amen? Cat of nine tails, his skin's being ripped off. And each time it hits him, you just wince. I remember the first time we saw it in the theater, my daughter was like 14 years old and I've never heard her sob so hard in her life. You know what? And Jesus endured that because he loves you. Amen? And then we get upset because we have to endure someone mocking our, us or giving us a hard time at work. He was scourged for us. And by the way, if I was scourged like that, I, don't, I, I would hope that I, I would not have foul things coming out of my mouth. Can I get an amen to that? I would hope not. But if I had the power to stop them, I'd be stopping them. Jesus had the power to stop them. He could have turned them into a pile of rocks. Can I get an amen? Guys, drawn back, rock, right? Could have turned them into rocks. He could have called a legion of angels out of the sky. And he endured it out of love for you. We need to endure it out of love for him. Amen? Point people to him. He endured our suffering that we might be free from our sins. He suffered physically that we might be healed spiritually. But it says that he committed himself to him to judge to judging righteously. He committed to give into the hands of another. He committed his life into the hands of his heavenly Father. Jesus put his hand his life in God's hands. Jesus remained in the fire, and guess what? He's waiting there for us the next time we go. Verse twenty four: Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree on the tree, that we having died to sins, might live, a, live righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now he's quoting again out of Isaiah 53. Read Isaiah 53. Can I encourage you? Written 700 years before the crucifixion, describes it perfectly. When I meet uh, Jewish people who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I take them to Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, and I say, who in the world is that? And it's Jesus. Amen? And he endured it all. It was prophesied. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is the creator of all things. And he knew he was going to have to come and suffer and die that you and I might have eternal life. And he created us anyway. That's a gracious God. Amen. And as believers in Christ, he bore our sins on a tree. He endured our suffering. May we be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. In the midst of the greatest suffering in human history, Jesus thought of us, not himself. Think about that. When Jesus is suffering, he thought of us, not himself. When we're suffering, we should be thinking of him, not ourselves. Amen? We should be thinking about a world that needs Jesus. We should be thinking about those who are hurting instead of thinking about ourselves. He made Calvary work for his glory Again, the most unjust situation in human history. And again, he took it out of love for you. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd 
and the overseer of your souls. It says in Isaiah 53 again, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're the ones that all went out in the wrong directions, did the wrong things, with the wrong motives, walked away from the Lord, did not have a relationship with him and he went to the cross on our behalf. And then he draws us home. He leaves the 90 and nine to go pull the one out of the ditch. Amen? That's our savior. Proof of their salvation was that they were once lost and now they're found. They were once blind and now we can see. We were once dead in sin and now we're alive in Christ. And it says, but now we've returned to the shepherd. He is the good shepherd, amen? He feeds his sheep, he protects them. What does a shepherd do? He lays down his life for his sheep. He makes sure the sheep are fed, protected, and cared for. And that's exactly what our Savior does for us. Amen? He is the good shepherd. May we praise his name. He's the overseer of your soul. The word there is bishop. Jesus is the overseer of believers' souls until the day of salvation. Far more concerned about our eternal destiny and spiritual impact on the lost than our physical comfort. Let me say that again. God cares more about your eternity than your temporary physical comfort. We get mad at God when we're not comfortable. Well, I prayed for you to make me comfortable. You didn't make me comfortable. Well, guess what? Nowhere in the Bible does it say he came to make you comfortable. Amen? He didn't come to make you comfortable. He came to redeem you. He came to save you. He came to forgive you. He came to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And he came to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? So we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through difficulty. Scattered Christians being tempted to walk away back to their old life because it had become uncomfortable. People started mocking them. You've heard me say this. I don't think the pandemic changed the church. It just revealed where the church is. A lot of people are Christians when it's convenient. They're Christians when it's comfortable. They come to church when it's easy. If something else is going on, if there's something else better, then they go do that instead. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if somebody who really loves the Lord doesn't have to be begged to come to church. Amen? Amen? This is a get to. I don't know about you. Highlight of my week is hanging out with the people I love the most, and that's you. Amen? This is our family. The blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. This is a glimpse of heaven when we come together with God's people. Amen? And the enemy will do anything he can to isolate you and get you to stay home. Well, that pastor, sometimes he talks like over an hour. It's insane. An hour. I'm going to stay home and watch eight hours of Netflix instead. (laughs) These Christians were suffering persecution, and Peter's exhorting them to follow the example of Christ, to walk in his footsteps, to recognize that suffering is a part of the deal. But you do recognize, again, this is but light affliction. This is nothing compared to eternity. Amen? How long is eternity? Your head will explode even thinking about it. Amen? It's forever and ever. This is what time we've got here. And then all of that. One of the things that comforts me when I think about my son, I think about him every, every minute of every day. I miss my son. Boy, I miss him. House feels so empty. But I think about that first hug in heaven, how it's going to wipe away all this pain. Amen? And then we're never going to say goodbye again. We've all got people we love that knew the Lord and are in heaven. There's a day coming when you'll be with them and you'll never have to say goodbye again. Hallelujah. 
Amen? And we can rejoice in that. He's the overseer of our souls. And the reminder of how lost they were without Jesus, he reminds them and lets them know. So point number one, how to impact your home for Jesus by following Jesus' example. I messed that up there. Following the example of Jesus. So in our homes, we shouldn't just be nice to the harsh boss. We should be nice to our people that live in our house. (laughs) Can I get an amen to that? And sometimes what happens is we put up with the harsh boss all day and we come home and take it out on our sweet wife. Amen? I'm probably the only husband in the whole room that's ever done that. Amen? You you know what? I want to encourage you. Make coming home the best part of your day. Amen? So, how else? Do we follow the example of Jesus? By following the example of Jesus, how do you impact your home for Jesus? By being a godly wife. It's always amazing to me that whenever it talks to the women, they always get more verses. And the men get less verses. I think it's because men are so simple-minded, we can only do like one thing. <laughs> do that! Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Just true to it. You look at, when you go through Titus, it's got all these verses for a godly young woman and for a godly young man. It, it just says, be sober. <laughs> can you just do that? <laughs> Here's one thing, knucklehead. Can you just do that? So we got six verses on the wife and one verse on the husbands. That's how the Bible's written. I'm just telling you. So here we go. Get ready. Wives. Just as we're to submit to the Lord in times of trials, wives likewise submit to your own husband's that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, this is, this is a hard thing to do, but look what it says. Submit to your husband. The word submission there is not only for those in the government, not only for our boss, but in the same manner, there needs to be submission in the home. Now, let me make it really clear right off the bat. Women are not less than men in any way, shape, or form. Can I get an amen to that? Not in any way, shape, or form. In many areas, are way more gifted than we are. Can I get an amen to that? And if men had to give birth, the, the humanity would die off. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. It's just reality. Now, that being said, there is a divine order that God gives in the home. Men are called to have authority in the home. It doesn't mean he's better. It doesn't mean he's smarter. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that's the calling God's placed on his life. Now, it's easy for a woman to submit to a man who's submitted to God. If the husband is submitted to the Lord, it's easy. But this verse also says you got to submit to him even when he's not. I have women say, well, I'll submit to my husband when he gets his act together and he's doing the 78 things I put on the list on the fridge. And when he does that, then I'll submit to him. (laughs) You're not submitting to anybody. You're just trying to get what you want. Can I get amen to that? You know what submission is? Submission is when you agree to surrender to somebody who's not doing what you want. See, it's not submission when, oh, you want to go to, oh, go to, oh yeah, great, that I'm submitting. No, it's submission when, you know, he didn't make a good decision here. That's not really what I wanted to do. And you submit anyway. I know I'm saying a lot. Did I want the Lord to take my son Mark to heaven? Absolutely not. If I could get him back right now, would I do it? Sign me up. 
But I know Mark wouldn't come anyway. Heaven's better, amen? So wives, submit. The word speaks of a woman of any age, young or old. So submission doesn't stop. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. It doesn't, it starts from the day you get married and it ends when one of you goes to heaven. It says the word submission there again, to be in subjection means to arrange under like a military term. You have a sergeant and a private. And again, is the sergeant more valuable? No, the, the army doesn't function if everybody doesn't do what they're called to do. He just has more authority. And it doesn't mean that the other person isn't just as valuable. It's submitting to someone's control. It's yielding to one's advice. It words literally means to obey. And he says, and again, likewise, with the same principles of submission toward the government officials, to employers, to the Lord, you submit to your husband. And it's demonstrated through those previous verses. Notice it says, to your own husband. The submission isn't a reward to the hus- for the husband's good behavior. It's commanded by God as the proper order for the home. And by the way, it doesn't mean that my wife submits to everybody else's, hu- everybody else's husband. Amen? She's got a husband right here. You know, being the pastor's wife isn't always easy. And especially, it hasn't really happened here, but our church in Santa Cruz, you know, as churches get larger, why doesn't your wife play the organ? And why isn't she leading the women's ministry? And why isn't she doing this? And she should be, t- and my wife's not called to do that stuff. And they would, and, I, and I'd have to get in front of church sometimes and go, by the way, before we get started, let me talk about my wife for a second. Her job is to be my wife and the mother of my children and the grandmother of my grandchildren. She does an amazing job and leave her alone. In Jesus' name. Are you going to see another side of your pastor? In Jesus' name, amen? Amen? And so the exhortation here is that I don't have authority over all of your wives. And I mean, as a pastor, in a sense, I'm called to serve you guys. And if necessary, there needs to be church discipline. But that being said, ultimately, it should come from the husband and the wife in your family unit. Amen? And so if if your husband has a conviction about this and you do it, then you honor that. Amen? That's why you need to take time before you get married to make sure this is a godly man. Amen? Now, imagine the chaos that would result if we all just stopped obeying the laws of the land. There'd be car accidents, looting, rape, and murder. That sounds about right. Um, Amen? If government authority placed by God is to keep the world in order, so too husbands are called by God to lead and keep proper order in their home. Yet submission to authority can totally consist, again, with equality of importance and dignity and honor. Is Jesus equal to the Father? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. But does he submit to the Father? There you go. So submission doesn't mean you're less. It's just the way God created the marriage to be. It says that even though some that do not obey your word, again, not just to the godly or faithful husband, but even if he does not obey the word. Now, again, here's where you stop. Now, if your husband starts uh, physically abusing you, you leave. You call the police. Have the pastors come to your house and talk to him in Jesus' name. We'll bring some big guys with us in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> So you submit to him, but not to him harming you. If your husband, you know, wants you to prostitute yourself, you don't do that. If your husband forbids you from praying, you keep praying. Amen? 
But at the same time, he sets the standard for the home. Common question among many first century women who began to follow Jesus. Should I leave my lost? I got a husband who's not saved. Should I leave him? No, you stay and pray. Amen? My dad was a pastor for 60 years, been in heaven for five years. He used to say in marriage counseling, don't bail out, work it out. Amen? Pray for him. Well, he's not, he did, well, you didn't marry that guy. You didn't, you didn't marry Billy Graham, okay? You didn't get Billy Graham. You didn't marry Billy Graham. You didn't marry Chuck Smith. Amen? <laughs> you married this guy, so go love him and pray for him. Amen? This is the reason why we're not to be unequally yoked. What if, you're already done, what if you're already married to an unbeliever? Again, stay and pray. What should you do with your unsafe husband? Submit to him. Unless he commands you to do something contrary to the word of God. And, I'm, and I mean, if he says, no, I want to move, and you don't want to move, you move. Amen? Well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. Submission. It's not for the faint of heart, Amen? Submission is not conditional. To submit to even uh, the harsh jerk of a boss. And again, if he, if he tells you to lie, cheat, and steal, or go get drunk, or do drugs, or watch adult movies, no. But you continue to pray for him and submit to him in every other aspect of life. You lovingly refuse, but you submit to him. Why does God want me to submit to my unsaved husband? It says there at the end of that verse that without a word, he may be won by the conduct of their wives. I've seen this, and I, I remember this example. I don't remember where I read it, but I read it somewhere, and it's a true story of a man who mocked his wife constantly, and she would just pray for him all the time, and he got tired of her praying for him. Stop praying for me, and she just kept praying for him. So one day, he went and got a, a bucket of ice water, and while she was praying, he came and dumped it on her head and put the bucket over her head, and she just kept praying. And it so gripped him that he got on his knees next to her and started praying. Win him by your conduct. Can I get an amen to that? Win him by your conduct. Now, husbands, you don't have an excuse to pour a bucket of hot, cold, cold water in your wife's head. Can I get an amen to that? Don't do that. It is. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. A wife's submission is a powerful expression of her trust in God. This kind of faith can accomplish great things even without a word. Submission wins men to Christ. Amen. So if you fight back with him and you yell and scream at him, and you mark, is that going to draw him closer to the Lord if he doesn't know the Lord? No. Notice without a word. Wait a minute. If a woman wants her husband to shape up, shouldn't she be telling him all the things he should be doing? We love that, don't we, guys? <laughs> it's my favorite. By the way, here's the 67 things you need to be doing. There you go. <laughs> Amen. Here's how man sees it. Proverbs 21. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than a, a brawling woman in a wide house. <laughs> Proverbs 21, 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. I'd rather be in the wilderness all by myself. <laughs> Proverbs 19. A foolish son is instruction to his father, and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. do that for a whole week. You want to go to church with me? No. <laughs> Amen. Be kind. It is your godly conduct that will impact your husband, not your self-righteous nagging. Amen. Don't compare your husband to other people. Don't mock him. Don't do that. Love him. 
Pray for him. Amen? Let your conduct, let him see Jesus in you. Submit to him, love him, respect him, honor him. Again, let him see Christ. And when you're doing that, you're submitting to the Lord. Verse 2, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. The word chaste there is pure, modest, reverent, and clean. You know, godly women should be pure. They should be chaste. A woman of such behavior will impact even the hardest-hearted husband, not, per, not persuasive lectures, but godly conduct that will reach him. The word accompanied by fear means fear of God. That's for all of us. We should just live in the fear of God. Can I get an amen to that? That everything we do, we do in reverence for the Lord. How to impact your home for Jesus. By being a godly wife, point number one there, the heart of a godly wife, submission. Number two, the true beauty of a godly woman. Look at verse three and four. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Now, a woman's supreme beauty should not be from her outward appearance. And Peter's not forbidding adornment, by the way. I'll never forget this. We're going to go a few minutes over today, so if you have to leave, God bless you. We'll mock you on the way out. Uh, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. Peter's not forbidding adornment, by the way. Uh, The word adornment there is cosmos, where we get the term cosmetics. As Pastor Chuck used to say, if the bar needs painting, paint it. Can I get an amen? Okay. But I've seen where people go to the other extreme. We played in a church basketball league when I lived in Lancaster. And I, please, I'm not trying to be harsh. But the women would come and they all look like they were wearing sackcloth and ashes. Their hair, their, they forbid them to cut their hair or style their hair. They forbid them to wear makeup. They forbid them to, you know, it was just, it was just, it was sad. It was heartbreaking. Look how godly we are. We, we, we smell bad. We, we're just covered in... No. Amen. It's okay, you know, to, you know, like I said, I get up every morning, you know, when I wake up, I look in the mirror and I assess the damage. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> like figure out what, what's got to happen here to get this looking okay. <laughs> but adornment speaks of a harmonious arrangement off, opposite of chaos. That's what cosmetics do. They bring into order the state of chaos. Amen. <laughs> Cosmetics, jewelry, fixing of your hair, wearing a pretty dress, that's not forbidden. But for a godly woman, the outward adornment should be done with modesty. You should dress in a way that if Jesus was coming to your house for lunch, she'd be okay with that. Can I get an amen with that? And not dressing provocatively to draw men's attention. By the way, what you use for bait will determine what you catch. Amen? So if you want a guy that's only after your body, just throw your body out there and then wonder why that's all he wanted from you. You know what a godly man's going to be attracted to? A godly woman. A woman who loves the Lord. For a godly woman, the outward adornment is to be done with modesty and it should not be so consuming that it takes time away from that which produces true beauty. Look what it says, verse four, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart who incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. The emphasis of the life of a godly woman should be more on inward godliness and character than her outward beauty. It is not a pretty dress or a new gold earrings that lead your unsaved husband to Christ, but that hidden person of the heart, your inward beauty. Outward adorning is fine in moderation, but the lasting impact you leave on others should not be your clothes, your hair, or your jewelry 
but the inward beauty of godliness. Amen? May, may you live in such a way that your inward beauty is what attracts them. The inward beauty of a godly woman is incorruptible. It doesn't grow worse with age. In fact, it gets better with age. Real beauty isn't something you wear, style, or primp. It's something that you are. A gentle and quiet spirit speaks of a calm temper, a contented mind, a heart free from pride and envy and irritability, filled with meekness, gentleness, and peace. The fruit of the spiritually mature walk with God in direct contrast to what the culture, what does the culture promote in young women? Look, just look in a way that attracts men and talks about, I mean, the, the way they dress and all these selfies that are put up and young girls trying to get likes and, and swiping right and swiping left and finding people. What an, that's so contrary to what the Word of God commands, amen? It's not what God wants. Those are attributes that are lost, looked down upon by a lost world, but they're very precious in the sight of God. So point number two, being a godly woman, have a heart of, of a godly wife. And the true beauty of a godly woman is a gentle and quiet spirit. Bible, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Final point, example of a godly wife, Sarah. Look at verse 5. For in this manner, to former times, the holy women who trusted in God were adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Uh, Peter reminds women that he's not calling them to a new standard. This was the standard all the way back to Adam and Eve. But something that was practiced by holy women of former times. The standard for a godly wife is inward character and godliness, not outward beauty. One of the greatest demonstrations of this inward faith and character in submission to her husband, to be a kind and godly wife, even if he's an unsaved, uh, not harsh man, is to trust that the Lord is going to use your submission to reach that man for the kingdom of God and to bring God glory. Now, here's the example. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah, a godly woman of inward beauty, obeyed her husband, calling him Lord and Master. Was Abraham a good husband all the time? Abraham said, hey, babe, we're going into Egypt. And you know, let's face it, you're beautiful. And they might kill me to take you. So just tell me you're my sister. How would that go over, guys? Just, just tell me you're my sister. Then he takes him into his harem, takes her into his harem. They're giving me stuff. Just keep telling me that you're my sister. And then God corrects him. He goes back. He does it again. And God says that Sarah obeyed him even though he was flawed. By the way, if you only obeyed to unflawed husbands, you'd be obeying nobody. Amen? There are no unflawed husbands. We're all flawed. Amen, ladies? Sarah obeyed trusting God even when her husband was wrong. God was blessed by her faithfulness, watched over her and protected her. See, that's the ultimate. See, your husband might make a mistake, but God's still watching over you. God still has you. God still loves you. And God's doing a work in him. And you pray for him. Don't mock him. Don't belittle him. Don't threaten to leave him. You pray for him and trust that God's in control. And God has his hand on your husband. And God will get his attention. And you know what? He may use you and your godliness to open his eyes. Amen? And that's easier said than done. It says, whose daughters you are to do good and are not afraid with any terror. Women here this morning, spiritual daughters of Sarah, you're spiritual daughters of Sarah, if you're born again. Again, as you faithfully follow her example, submitting to your own husband without fear. By the way, let me just say this. And we're going to finish with that last verse, because there's no way I'm leaving here without talking to the guys. We're not doing it. Can I get an amen? 
We're just not doing it. Brunch will wait. Here's the reality. Guys, we don't read these verses and then go home and say, you got to submit, woman. You heard pastor. Sit down, shut up, and submit. No. No. Can I get an amen to that? I want to hear all the guys say amen. Okay. You, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. I had a guy do that in a counseling session. He, he came in. They shouldn't have gotten married. It was a mess. They, they eloped. It was a train wreck. They showed up in our office. This is in Santa Cruz. And the guy's like, Pastor Dave, you need a teacher to sit down, shut up, and submit. And then he was poking me in the chest and telling me, you need it, you need it, you need it. And I'll, I'll, I'll be super transparent. My assistant pastors talked to it about this to this day. I got up, I because his wife was this little tiny woman. She came in with two black eyes, by the way. Okay. So he, he's poking me in the chest. I got up and said, be very thankful that I'm a born-again Christian man who's filled with the Holy Spirit. I would pick your tail up and throw it through that plate glass window right now. That's exactly what I said. And my assistant pastor's like, whoa. But I'm like, dude, you don't treat women like that. Can I get an amen? She submits... You know what? You want to live in such a way that her submitting to you is a joy. Amen? Amen. That she counts it a privilege and a joy and a get to, not a have to. Amen? Let's finish up. Last verse. By being a godly husband. Look what it says. Husbands, likewise dwell with your wives with understanding. In King James Version, according to knowledge, a godly husband will take the time to get to know his wife. What blesses her, what frustrates her. Do one and avoid the other, by the way. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> know what blesses her, try to do as much of that. Now, my wife and I have been married 37 years, and I will confess to you, sometimes I still do the thing that annoys her. It still happens. Because I'm, I'm thick. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I don't always do what's right. I'm, I'm still growing and still learning. Amen, guys? It's an ongoing problem. But notice what it says here. It basically says, dwell with them. Get to know your wife. Get to know what blesses her. And then bless her. Get to know what frustrates her. And then don't do that anymore. Amen? Giving honor to your wife. Treating her with love and respect and treasuring her. Hey, ladies, if he loves you, respects you, and treasures you, is that a man you're willing to submit to? Amen? He treasures you. He treats you with respect. The word that, notice what it says next giving honor to your wife. The word in Greek means to value her, to treat her as precious with dignity. Guys, we should so love and serve and honor our wives that they know how precious that they are. They should know how precious that they are. Somebody put up a meme said, find a man who treats you every day like he's the most blessed man in the world that he gets to be married to you. And guys, that's the way we ought to treat our wives. Amen? Honor them. Bless them. Treat them as value and precious. It's easy for a woman to submit to a man who walks with God and who lays down his life for his wife. Notice it says here, don't get thrown off by this, as the weaker vessel. Not less valuable or important, but if we had a bench press contest, I think most of the men would beat their wives. Can I get it? Yeah. <laughs> Amen? It's a reality. God gave, exactly, I hope so. God gave, God gave women gifts we don't have, but God also made men to be the spiritual leaders, but that also means provider and also means protector. Amen? 
Husband, you should be the first line of defense of anybody coming after your wife in any way, shape, or form. You should stand between those two and put a stop to it. Can I get an amen to that? That's what men are called to do. Don't be a wimp. Don't sit back. Don't let someone else step. You stand up and your wife should know, man, if somebody comes to that front door, he's got to get through me to get to my wife. Can I get an amen to that? And if someone is talking harshly to my wife, uh, no. I had two coworkers that used to talk trash about their wives all day in their cubicles and make fun of each other's wives all day. And then they met my wife and I'm sitting in my cubicle and I'm new to this office and the guy starts to say something about my wife and I stood up and I said, you finished that sentence? Have you ever tried picking up your teeth with a broken arm? (laughs) Amen. Uh, Now, I wouldn't have probably done that, but the point, I'm making a point. Can I get an amen? I said, look, no one ever talks bad about my wife, ever. Ever. No jokes, nothing. We're just joking. Not with my wife, you're not. Amen? Pastor Don used to say, don't address your wife in front of the church. You will never hear me say anything about my wife, but praise and honor to her from this pulpit ever. Amen? And you know what? That's what we should do in every conversation. You protect your wife. You praise your wife. You encourage your wife. You love your wife. You protect, you watch over. Can I get an amen? She is the weaker vessel, not less, not less important, but that's how God made her. I'm glad my wife is soft. Amen? I don't want to marry a guy. I'm not interested. (laughs) I'm out. I like her long, pretty hair and that she saw the way God made her. Thank you, Lord. Amen? (laughs) Guys are disgusting. Women are beautiful. Can I get amen? (laughs) Just the reality. It speaks primarily, again, of her physical strength. The wife is the feminine one, emphasizing her nature, the inward gentleness. Outwardly not as strong as men, but that's okay. She's not supposed to be. But you know what? Inwardly, we're not as gentle as they are. And we need that. Can I get an amen? We balance each other. Our wives should feel protected. We should not expect more of her physically than is appropriate. Notice what it says. Let's finish up. Being heirs together. You know what that means? She's not just your wife. She's your sister in Christ. And she's God's daughter. Amen? So when you're treating your wife the way you're treating your wife, remember, you're going to answer to her dad. Her heavenly father. Amen? So she's my sister in Christ, so I should treat her that way. By the way, just I know every, everyone, all the guys in here are being convicted. Don't worry, I'm, I'm being convicted too. Anybody, anybody being convicted besides me? Okay, just checking. Heirs together. A godly husband realizes that his spouse is not only his wife, but his sister in Christ. We become one flesh. We're heirs together. The wife submitting and respecting, the husband loving, honoring, and serving. And notice what it says. Let's finish off. It says, together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. The failure to live as a godly husband has spiritual consequences. It will impact your prayer life. If you're mistreating your wife and you're praying and talking to God, you might as well be yelling down a well. Amen? had to do this several times as a pastor. I don't like it, but we have to do it. Where men are mistreating their wives repeatedly, we try to counsel them. They don't want to hear it. We've had to tell them they can't come to our church anymore. And I don't like to do that. I don't want to do that. One of my least favorite things as a pastor. And they won't let us do counseling with their wife and my wife and she's a problem. No, you're the problem, bro. We need to sit down. By the way, if you come to marriage counseling with me, I'm going to talk to the husband 80% of the time. One minute, like, what do you got open on Monday? Right? Because <laughs> I will. Because I believe that the men set the tone for the spiritual 
where their, where their family is spiritually. Amen? We're called to be the leader. We're called to be the leader. But notice what happens. If you're seeking the Lord's direction, how, how can I show you or use you anywhere else if you won't be faithful in your own home? Amen? When you see the qualifications for a pastor, it says, one who rules in his own house well. A man who doesn't minister to his wife and his children, how can he be a leader or a servant in the church if he won't serve in his own home? Amen? When I talk, often when I talk to, to people about using them in ministry, or if I'm gonna ordain, we're going to ordain somebody, we'll talk to their wife. How's your husband doing at home? And most of the time, yeah, he's the same guy at home. I had one lady tell me in Santa Cruz, oh no, he's a disaster at home. <laughs> Whoa, okay then. So live in such a way that your wife could be called on and you'd be okay with it. Amen? <laughs> you ever had a fight, argument with your wife, and then you go to pray over your meal? How's that? <laughs> Sit down. All right, kids, let's pray. Uh, uh, hinders your prayer life. Amen? Better yet, go try to prepare a Bible study to teach a bunch of people when you've had an argument with your wife. In Santa Cruz, I, my office was in town, and there were several times in the middle of the night where we'd had an argument about something, and it was always something stupid or lame. And it was usually my fault. And I would be studying, and I would just hoist head slap, right? I would get in my car, drive home, wake my wife up. Hey, babe, um, I'm sorry. Can we I'd pray with her? Then I can go back and study. Guys, we don't want, we want to treat our wives in such a way that it's not a hindrance to our prayer life. Amen? We want to be a godly man at home. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives, and wives, see that you respect your husbands. And when I do marriage counseling, most wives say they feel unloved, and most husbands say they feel disrespected. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. In closing, how to impact your home for Jesus? By following the example of Jesus, by being a godly wife, the heart of a godly wife, submission, the true beauty of a godly woman, a gentle and quiet spirit, the example for a godly wife, obeying and submitting to her husband. And be a godly husband, giving honor to your wife, dwelling with her with understanding, treating her with love and respect, treasuring her, serving her, protecting her, providing for her, that your prayers may not be hindered. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the practicality of it. I pray for everyone here that, Lord, we would follow the example of our Savior, that we would follow in your footsteps that we would deal with suffering the way you deal with suffering. We would deal with being mistreated the way you dealt with being mistreated. Lord, I pray for those of us here that are married and those who aren't married yet, may this be an example for them, the type of person they're looking for. And I pray for, for the women who are here who are married, help them, Lord, to submit to their husbands. Help them, Lord, to be a Christ-like example to them. Help them to be adorned from the inside more than the outside. And for godly men, Help us to love and lead and serve and lay down our lives for our wives, to protect them, to bless them, to treasure them. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said.